a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into what may be the last Crimson Corner of 2022. We'll have to see how it goes. As always, I am your host, Michelle Botkin, Utah Utes Insider for KSL Sports, and I have a pretty cool guest on today. I don't know if you all have noticed or not, but the pickings are pretty slim for storylines leading up to Utah's second Rose Bowl appearance in two years, at least from the standpoint of the opponent. Utah will be facing off with Penn State on January 2nd, 2023, for the first time ever, which is pretty cool, but also makes it hard in a way to find things to talk about. Except I maybe found the one and only connection between the two programs. So a big thank you has to go out to the 94 squad for turning me on to this storyline for the Rose Bowl in Las Vegas, proof that not everything has to stay there. Uh, So without further ado, I want to welcome in former Utah kicker and placeholder, Cletus, Tommy True. Tommy, how's it going? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm really excited that uh, we were able to find you and and have you on and have this conversation. Uh, So I have been told that this was a a dream matchup for you since forever. Explain your connection and love for Penn State while also being a diehard Ute. So it goes way before I was even on this earth, to be honest. my mom and dad are from Pennsylvania. Uh, she had five brothers that were, you know, in the coal region of Pennsylvania. You're either a Notre Dame fan or a Penn State fan. You know, you really don't have many other choices back in that region. So a lot of her brothers chose Penn State. So growing up, um, you know, when I finally was born, they moved to California. I was born and it was Penn State every week. And it's not like you have today where you could flip on any channel and watch any team. So we followed Penn State. They were obviously very good. They have a historic program as far as having success. And, uh, you know, so it just started there. I mean, and then I've been to so many Penn State events and football games. Um, I was at the 87 Fiesta Bowl when they played Miami. Uh, Jerome Brown, uh, who was there? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Vinny uh, Testaverde won the Heisman that year. Mm-hmm. That was a big game. Penn State upset them, won the national championship. We took a motorhome out there as a family. It was great. Um, did the same thing in 92 when they played Tennessee. I remember um, – 
Carl Pickens fumbled the opening kickoff and we were like row 10 in that end zone and just seeing everybody go great. Listen to good old Rocky top the whole time. Um, it really has been Penn state in my family. My brother played basketball there. My sisters went there, both of them. I have tons of cousins that have gone there. And then it came my turn and, uh, you know, Penn State was recruiting me. I uh, followed that season pretty closely. They had a great 94 season. Um, like I said earlier, I think they got robbed in the national championship. Uh, good old Nebraska, but we don't have to go there. Um, you know, uh, they played Oregon in the in the Rose Bowl. We were there as a family. Um, and then obviously the it goes on and on. I mean, at Penn State, you could talk about the Joe Paterno years. You could talk about after that, Franklin's doing a great job. Um, so time came for me to decide. I ended up Going um, to Utah, I was I was signed, sealed, and delivered at Penn State, stepping back a little bit. I, I went to their summer camps every year from sophomore year on um, in high school, and there was just no way I wasn't going to Penn State. Um, but geography came into a play, and Penn State's awful far from California for my parents to see every game. I mean, that's 3,000-mile trek every weekend. And so Utah was, Utah was recruiting me. Sean McNabb did a great job. My mom and dad and I flew up there, checked it out, loved State, uh, Salt Lake City, loved Sean McNabb, loved McBride, and the rest is history. So ended up at Utah. Um, really, since day one, all my roommates, everybody was kind of sick of hearing me talk about Penn State. Like, you know, after the game, we would win a game, and I'd be like, what was the Penn State score today? You know, and it kind of just went there, and they started kind of teasing me about that they always called me the hero back because in Penn State they had a position on defense called hero back which is kind of like a strong safety and so they always call me the hero back uh but yeah it's been it's been it's been a long long tradition of Penn State in my family um you know like I said it's it's pretty uh it's pretty unique to have so much knowledge about a, a program that really I had nothing to do with nor I lived in, never lived in that state um you know you hear about guys uh Gosh, they're, they're Heisman winner, you know, that you got Franco Harris that played there. I mean, you got all these guys that were such nostalgic guys and, and great players that you just kind of almost like a, a fantasy that they don't really exist, but in books, you know. And so it was it was cool to grow up that way. Um, and then, you know, learning more about Utah and Penn State, there are so many similarities with their programs, both very blue collar, um, you know, both family first, always family first. And, and the more I started thinking about this since this matchup came about, there is so many similarities with the way they run their programs, the way that Whittingham and Franklin run their programs. And Franklin kind of adopted it from the previous coaches, you know, obviously the paternal era. And, you know, you have guys that played at Penn State long time ago, like we played a long time ago, the 94 team. And they're talking about Penn State every weekend. They're talking about the guys who have been there for 27 years they have a they have an equipment manager that was there in 93 when I went there for a football camp his name was Spider he was the head football camp guy and he's currently working for the university or Penn State University's program still and you know they hire within they keep it in the family it's it's a really kind of unique situation um that both programs both schools kind of believe in hire from within keep it in the family and it, it's a it's a warm feeling when you go uh, back to especially Salt Lake you walk in that football facility and you see familiar faces everywhere. So I attribute that to Winningham. You know, he, yeah. he kept it in the family for sure. I, I mean, you kind of start diving into it a little bit, but explain how this guy that was so deeply rooted in Penn state uh, ended up at Utah and being happy about it. 
Oh, I mean, it wasn't an easy decision. Mm -hmm. um, again, I th there's a, there were other factors involved um, to, to make this decision. Nothing crazy. It was just family stuff that was going on. And I just didn't want to be that far away from my family. Um, and, you know, going to home games and going to see your kids play is a big part of the recruiting process. You, mm -hmm. and, and McNabb and McBride, they guaranteed my, you know, to my mom and dad that, you know, they would treat me as their son. And they did. And they made sure that, you know, any game that they wanted to go to, regardless of the weather, my mom was going to be able to get to stay warm stuff like that. And, and if I would have gone to Penn State, my mom would have definitely not been able to go to as many games. Um, my dad went to every one of my games home and away. So that was kind of neat. He wouldn't have done that at Penn State. I don't think maybe he would have. He was kind of kind of cool like that. But um, it, it was it was definitely um, I kind of broke the trend. I was the fourth kid in the family and all three of my older siblings went to Penn State. Yeah. Um, so I did break the trend in it. And looking back now, it was probably the best decision I've made because all of my friends on the Utah team were from California as well. And we still talk literally daily um, with the guys that you mentioned earlier from this text where we talk about Utah football every single day. It's kind of obsessive, but it's beautiful at the same time. <laughs> uh, so. I, I mean, let's talk about you. You have made these lifelong long friends as a Ute. Um, and I know not too long ago, you took a bunch of them to College State to check out the Nittany <laughs> Lions infamous whiteout. You know, tell me what that trip was like and what that was like to be able to share with your brothers, you know, this other part of your kind of sports identity. Right. Right. So, you know, that actually we, that started back um, in two. So my older brother, James, played at Penn State and he's a diehard. He has a Nittany Lion in his backyard, a replica model of it. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, and so he. He took in 2005 myself and Rocky Henry, who also played at Utah, um, to the first whiteout game against Ohio State 2005. Um, we went there; it was so much fun. And then he, we've gone to we went to the Penn State Notre Dame game in 2007 with Rocky as well. And then, in, like you said, in 2019, took um, Jason Hooks, Barry Sims, uh, Rob Hamilton to the Penn State Michigan whiteout, which was an instant classic. It came down to a, the very last play of the game. Um, those guys saw a lot of, I think, what they see when they go to the football facilities in Salt Lake. And they saw that also in State College. They saw Coach Franklin walking around, um, opening up the doors to anybody and everybody. You know, as long as you're respectful, they'll let you in. They'll, they'll let you walk around the facility. We were in their indoor practice facility, messing around, hitting bags. Uh, I think there's a, there's a funny video of, of Barry Sims doing his O-line stuff on, on one of the bags. And, uh, you know, it, it I think from them, from, from their perspective, they understood why, why I still love Penn State so much mm -hmm. um, from that kind of, I didn't go there, but I still felt that at Utah. I still felt the family, you know, and that, that's huge for me. And I can't, I can't think of any other programs, just talking to friends who played at other division one schools that, you know, they're as diehard about their school as my Penn State friends and my Utah friends. So it's kind of a, a neat, it's going to be a neat matchup from that perspective. There is unfortunately a very dark side to Penn State's overall proud history. You know, what was it like seeing that news come down? And what have you thought about James Franklin's efforts to renew the image? Well, you know, yeah, that was that was tough. And and there's so many, I don't want to get into it too much, but there there's so many things that just don't make sense. I think everyone says the same thing, like, how could that even happen? You know, how how does that happen under such an amazing man's watch? And 
And I get it. I, I know there's different theories and different things that happen. Um, it was tough. It was really tough. It was, you know, it was definitely a dark, dark part of, you know, the Paterno era. Um, ironically, we were at that, we, we flew back for the Nebraska game right after that happened, um, mm -hmm. Penn, uh, Nebraska at Penn State. So we were there for that next game when Paterno wasn't on the sideline for the first time in, I don't know how many, 40 some years, I don't even know what it was. And it was almost like being at, I hate to use the word funeral, but it was eerie. It was, we were in pregame warmups and it was just quiet in a 110,000 person stadium. Um, it was, it was awkward. You know, there wasn't the, we are chance walking up to the, you know, the big Beaver stadium. And it, it was tough. It was a tough pill to swallow. It, it, it definitely um, had me questioning things and I didn't believe it. You know, it was just like, it's yeah. so far from anything that I could believe would happen in the world, let alone Penn state. Um, and so it, it was tough. It was really tough. And, you know, I think Franklin to your, to your thing is, is doing a great job. He's restored, I think the trust in, just the whole administration. He, he's a, a outstanding guy. Um, he'll return your text messages. If you send it, he's not too busy for that. You know, he's just a very personable guy and he does a great job, I think with getting the players to buy in and, and, and run kind of like they do at Utah. You know, they, they have great athletes, they have great players, but really they got everyone's buying into what he's saying, like at Utah with Whittingham, mm -hmm. these players buy in and as a team, we could beat anyone, you know, you, you have talked a lot about how Utah and Penn State are similar, you know, what, go deeper into that. Like, what, what do you see from both, both sides that make them, I guess, such a compelling comparison across the board? Yeah, so, I mean, in addition to what I was saying, just the family atmosphere, you can look at the way they play football. Um, they both want to run the ball. They want to, they want to be blue collar. They want to win it in the trenches. I mean, I think a lot of programs say that. Mm -hmm. but these two teams actually do it. You can look at all the stats and they're very similar. Um, we throw to our tight ends a lot. They throw to their tight ends a lot. I think um, I wrote down a couple things. They, they, uh, you know, their top two um, tight ends have like 51 receptions. Ours have 82. Now, granted, we don't have our, our top reception guy for this game, unfortunately, but um, you know, that's part of the game, you know, football as well. Their wide receivers. I think, um, Penn State has 90 total in their top two receptions, and we have 75. So it's they play a lot of this, you know, similar type of football. They'll establish the run. Like I said, a lot, every school says they want to establish one, but we, us in Penn State, truly establish the run, and they got some great running backs, and they run as a committee as well. So it's uh, from that aspect, the X's and O's they're very similar. And then, like I said, with the family stuff and and just these guys buying in and they're committing. I don't think you'll see too many. Um, transfer types going in and out of either program. You'll get a couple here and there's just the way it is in football these days, but you won't get, you know, 25 guys transferring out in the same year um, just because they love their, their family. And they, they kind of feel like they started and they want to finish what they started. Yeah. Uh, I, you got to be a part of a very interesting part of Utah football history in being uh, in the grand opening of Rice-Eccles Stadium when it was remodeled for the 2002 Winter Olympics in 1998. And, and now we're watching this program grow to even further heights than what that was. You know, what what's it like from someone that has your perspective of that stadium being remodeled for the Olympics was such a big deal, but I mean, it looks unrecognizable compared to even what oh. that was. 
just just to give you a quick <laughs> how big we went in 97 we were playing in rice stadium and they were currently building the new stadium on the outside of it so it didn't really disrupt too much of our home games yeah and that's how much bigger that stadium is it literally fit on the outside of the the, the existing stadium at the time and then in 98 when we actually got to do i was actually actually i did the kickoff i believe um very first time ball went in play actually i didn't think about that's right now yeah. i i kicked the ball for the first time in that stadium so and then seeing where it is today when they redid the, the, you know, the South end zone and, and then walking in and seeing these football facilities and, you know, you're right. That, that part, the, you know, the nineties, the late nineties, early two thousands, it, it really just is a completely different place, but we can still walk in there and see tons of familiar faces. So it's, it, we got, for us, we got the best of both worlds. You know, we still got our old coaches in there. Uh, you know, like I said, Whittingham was our D coordinator when I graduated. So that was nice. And, and then, he hired all those guys that either played on my team, played just after me, and they're all co on the coaching staff now. So it's it really is kind of nice um, to see the growth, but also know that where it came from type of thing. It's kind of like Whittingham's like the heart of it all, but the heart never changes. But you might get more mass, more you know the, it, that part of it changed. So it's it's uh, it's great. It's great to see it continuing to grow. Um, I remember in a. It, when I was being recruited, we, you know, we were hoping to be in the Pac-10 at the time, by the time I graduated, you know, it took a little bit longer, but, <laughs> yeah. but it, we're there. And, uh, you know, for the last five, we've, we've been there, been there. So it's, uh, it's good to be at CS competing with all these guys, you know, especially the USC's of the world. That, that was my backyard. So beating those guys feels extra good. I have a few buddies that I played high school ball with that played at USC. So that's always fun to, to <laughs> give them a little bit of the business when, uh, twice this year actually so yeah. double. <laughs> so. Uh, I mean obviously growing up a Penn State fan and having so many family ties to Penn State you were already very familiar with the Rose Bowl mm -hmm. uh, and had uh, you mentioned you had been to a Rose Bowl you know before with Penn State uh, talk about last year that first time that Utah crossed that threshold to go to the Rose Bowl, you know, what was the excitement level for that versus, you know, when Penn State would make it? Well, the excitement level was way higher than any time I saw. I think I saw Penn State play three times at the Rose Bowl. And it was always like, oh, that's cool. It's maybe some family coming out. But last year, us, I was at the Pac-12 championship game last year, and, and that was amazing. And then now we're sitting at the Rose Bowl playing against Ohio State, you know, and it was almost surreal. I mean, it was I mean, I played in the Vegas Bowl when I was a senior. I mean, seeing, you know, I don't know, there was probably 20,000 people in the stands. I don't even know if anyone came to that game, but, you know, it's changed so much. And the scale of the way they do things now and, and just, um, you know, being at the Rose Bowl, I, I don't know. It's it, it's kind of weird because I, I also see UCLA games there all the time growing up. Mm -hmm. So it's at the Rose Bowl, but it's not the Rose Bowl. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I can still hear you know, the announcer on Saturday or on uh, January 1st waking, welcome to the granddaddy of a mall, you know, and, and uh, it, it, it was so just amazing. I mean, we, we got up there a couple of days before we got a motor home and we, we camped out and we, we were fully involved. We, we got involved and it was fun. It was a good time. Saw a ton of former players there, former guys with their families. I mean, it's, it was just beautiful. I, I mean, we talked about you know, a dark period for Penn State. Utah's also had their fair share of dark times, and it actually ultimately led them to the Rose Bowl. 
I, I was thinking about this this morning. It's really crazy that they started their journey towards actually playing in a Rose Bowl on the Rose Bowl field for a funeral. Mm. And now they've made it there twice to play. Obviously came up a little bit short last year, but they have another opportunity this year against Penn State. What what are your thoughts, you know, just thinking about what this team's had to overcome in order to reach these heights? It it's something that I can't even quite imagine. Um get I think you attribute a lot of that to Coach Whittingham. And like I said earlier, the family aspect of it. You think about our own personal lives. When something like that happens, you where do you go first? You go to your family, right? And they they console you and you and you get together and you bond and you know, I think a lot of that was going on in that locker room. And that, I think that's the only way you get through something like that. And then for it to hit again, you know, that's just, it, I, I, I can't even imagine being in that locker room, but what those guys did, what they overcome, just the emotional side of it, it, it really is a tribute to leadership. And you can go all the way up to the president of the university down to Whittingham and even the captains, you know, and the, the leaders at all levels really just, did what they had to do. Um, and you know, it, it, it's something that, man, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a little weird. I, I wore number 22 and I played. And mm-hmm. so I always would pay attention to whoever 22 was. He could years ago, it could be the guy on you know third string, but I would find 22 anywhere. And so when we had, you know, 22 shining and then this happens at 22 and you know, it, it, it was, it was tough. You know, I mean, I don't even know if that's a word I would use. It was tougher than tough, you know, but, what they did, what they've accomplished, what they're continuing to accomplish. And then all the things you read about, you know, 22 uh, passes completed after, you know, the comeback in the USC game. And there's a lot of 22s that come up and it's, yeah. it's almost eerie and beautiful. And, um, you know, makes you believe that there's something else going on out there in this world that <laughs> we can't quite put our hands on, but it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely neat to see just how they're keeping that spirit alive. And that that's, I think the end of it, you know, as far as where they're at. And I I have a good feeling about it this year too, to, you know, maybe just finish it off. (laughs) You've talked a lot about the brotherhood with Utah Mm -hmm. and with Penn state. Mm -hmm. Uh, But from the Utah perspective, you know, what do you think it would mean not only to the team to win this Rose bowl, but just every you boy that's ever been through that program mm-hmm. to come home with that Leishman trophy. I mean, this would be, you know, the sugar bowl was pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, that was a great win. Uh, but this one would be for me personally, I always love the PAC 12 big 12 or big 10 matchups, even in the middle of the season, you know, I've always been waiting for Utah to go play at Penn state or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think this one, to me is bigger um, just because it is the granddaddy of them all. You know, it might be the last Rose Bowl as we know it with the, with the matchups, you know, the big 10 pac 12. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot at stake here for history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as, you know, us being able to witness it, you know, all the guys who played in the nineties, two thousands and beyond. I mean, it's, it's, it's come a long way. I mean, I mean, like I said, we were excited for the Vegas Bowl, you know, and and seeing where these guys go now, it's just, you know, it's just a different level. But, you know, you got to take you got to you got to take little baby steps to get there. And I think I think we're there. You know what I mean? We're 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 there. I mean, 
it's it's fun to watch. And I'm glad Whittingham's still there doing it because it feels like part of us is still involved, you know? Mm-hmm. Utah made a really great impression on Ohio State and Ohio State fans. Do you think the same thing will happen with Penn State to and maybe hopefully to where there is a home and home at some point? You know, I, I could see that happening um, after, the, you know, the team spent a week together and the ADs get together. I think they'll see the similarities that I've seen for the past few decades um, in the way that they just carry themselves. And so uh, Penn State fans, and, and you know, I'm biased, obviously, are, are very, <laughs> very respectful fans. They, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have some banter back and forth, but very respectful and very educated fans. I mean, it's, it's Saturdays in, in Eastern Pennsylvania, central to Eastern Pennsylvania, that's all you do. You watch Penn State football. Um, there's a reason why 115,000 people go to a stadium in the middle of nowhere every Saturday. Um, when we would show up on Thursday nights for these games in our motorhomes um, at State College, the motorhome park would be full. I mean, it was it's incredible. They had that Paternoville uh, tent city with all the students. I mean, that starts Thursday night back in the day. And and so it, I think that they'll they'll hopefully start scheduling games against each other. I would love to. My ultimate dream was seeing Utah play at Penn State, mm-hmm. you know, but this is this is pretty this is pretty sweet too at the Rose Bowl. So what what do you expect or feel like will ultimately happen in the game come January 2nd? Yeah, well, so I like I said, they they both play similar football. They're you know, defense first, control the control the clock, you know, control the ball, no turnovers, similar football. So, you know, everybody's expecting a low scoring game, but with me, I always realize these kids haven't played in a month, you know, big plays are bound to happen, whether it's a turnover, wherever, whether it's a a special teams play, you don't, you know, it could be anything. So I think, I think it'll be a good game. Um, You know, but you know, Penn state's in my DNA, I guess, as my family's DNA, but I do bleed red. So it's uh, Utah 38, maybe Penn state 24. Ooh, okay. Yeah. We finally bring it home. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Tommy, I really appreciate your time and talking about, you know, this other side of you that uh, is, is kind of a, a part of your, like I said, your sports DNA. Uh, I, I would love to catch up with you at the actual Rose Bowl and, and maybe, you know, chat further and, and come up with something else. That sounds perfect. Yeah, we'll be there. We're we're doing the RV thing again. We're we're going to be there from New Year's Eve all the way on. So okay, we're, we're right. excited. <laughs> we'll definitely look for you there. Yep. All right, guys, that was Tommy True talking all things Penn State and Utah football leading up to Utah's second trip in two years to the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. We're all looking forward to that trip. Uh, it should be another epic, great matchup. And uh, just an amazing way to bring in 2023. Uh, So it's been a pleasure, as always, talking Utah football with some of the all-time greats that know it inside and out. Uh, I hope everybody has a happy, safe holiday. And I am looking forward to seeing so many of you at the Rose Bowl for the new year. I am Michelle Bodkin signing off of Crimson Corner. And as always, go Utes.
I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.